Since Purim begins this Wednesday evening, and we are all gearing up for our Purim party, I'd like to share with you a few thoughts about Queen Esther. We are told in Esther chapter 2, verse 7, Mordechai had a cousin named Hadassah, that is, Esther, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This girl was lovely in form and features, and Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother had died. The heroine of our Purim story had two names, a Hebrew name and a Persian name. Her Hebrew name was, what was it? Hadassah, that's right. And her Persian name was? Esther. Very good. Each had a meaning that reflected her calling from the Lord. And that's what I would like to discuss with you this morning. Her Hebrew name, Hadassah, means myrtle. You may recall that myrtle is one of the four species that we use during Sukkot to form the lulav that we wave during the festival. Here is a picture of the lulav. The hadas, or myrtle, is the green plant on the far right next to the etrog, which has leaves that are shaped like eyes. Next year, when you see the hadas, think of Esther's beautiful eyes. Here is a closer look at the hadas, or myrtle, plant. As I said, Esther's Hebrew name was Hadassah, which means myrtle. And her name represented her calling. How so? The Midrash, our tradition, which attempts to read between the lines of Scripture and fill in the missing pieces, tells us that Esther was given the Hebrew name Hadassah because the myrtle has a sweet smell, but a bitter taste. The Scripture tells us that Esther had a sweet smell literally. We are told in Esther chapter 2, verse 12, before a girl's turn came to go in to King Ahasuerus, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of olay, oh, I mean oil of myrrh, and six with perfumes and cosmetics. It is interesting that Esther smelled like myrrh, for her cousin and foster father's Hebrew name, Mordechai, comes from the two words mor, which means myrrh, and dekai, which means pure. In other words, her cousin and foster father was as fragrant as pure myrrh. Esther definitely had a sweet fragrance of her own from all of these beauty treatments. Maybe someone should design a perfume named Hadassah. But Esther's sweet aroma was more than skin deep. She had a fragrant neshuma, a good soul. We are told in Esther chapter 2, verse 15, and Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. Esther 
was a true Hadassah, a sweet soul who emanated through her mitzvahs, her good deeds, the sweetness of God wherever she went. And this is what won her favor. At the same time, there was the flip side to her being Hadassah, and that is, a day would come when she would reveal in the palace that she was a Jew like Mordecai. And on that day, when she identified with the God of Israel and the people of Israel, she would become a source of bitterness and offense to Haman, his family, and his anti-Semitic minions. There is a very important lesson here that we can learn from what the Midrash says about Esther's Hebrew name, Hadassah. Our flesh would like to please everyone and make everyone happy. But we need to remember that our calling is not to please everyone. The fact of the matter is that we cannot please all the people all the time. Would you agree? Our calling from the Lord is to please the Lord by walking in His love. Let me say that again. By walking in His love. What did I just say? By walking in His love and living out His will. The more we do this, the more we live in radical obedience to the Lord, beginning with a radical commitment to love as He loved us, the more we will see polarized responses to our witness. This was Paul's experience as he traveled across the Mediterranean world and shared the Besorah, the gospel, with those around him. On the one hand, thousands of people positively responded to his life and ministry and gave their lives to the Lord. On the other hand, his Messianic Jewish ministry was not always a tiptoe through the tulips. He received a lot of bitter opposition, as he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, and verse 32. He writes, Are they servants of Messiah? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from Jewish leaders the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. In Damascus, the governor under King Eratos had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Last week, Harumi and I were reminiscing with some friends about a trip to Israel that we took about three and a half years ago 
just before coming to Tikvot Israel. We were walking around Jerusalem and wandered into a gallery where we met a warm and friendly rabbi. We talked and talked, and eventually he asked what I did professionally. I shared with him that I was a Jewish follower of Yeshua and that I was devoting my life as a rabbi to building a congregation for Yeshua within the house of Israel. Suddenly, this warm and friendly Orthodox rabbi was no longer so warm and friendly. He said to me that if he happened to meet me at night in the alley across from the gallery, that he would not hesitate to kill me. Whoa, that was intense. Where did that response come from? One minute he was so kind, and the next minute he said that he would not hesitate to murder me. Growing up as a child in the Messianic Jewish community, I saw many examples of people responding positively and negatively to the knowledge and the presence of God. Once, when I was in elementary school, my father decided to go to a local grocery store and set up a table in front where he could give away literature about the Messiah to the customers who were going in and out. Many people were grateful to receive free Bibles and booklets and enjoyed the brief conversations with my dad, whom many of you have met and know is a kind and gentle man. But one gentleman, who was a fellow member of the tribe, became so angry about what my father was doing that he got in his car, turned on the ignition, and then attempted to run my father over. How do we explain this? Paul explains the polarized responses that he experienced in the following way in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. He writes, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Messiah, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of what it means to know Him. For we are to God the aroma of Messiah among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are, what does it say? The smell of death. To the other, what does it say? The fragrance of life. Who is equal to such a task? Are we here at Tikvat Israel equal to such a task? Are we the, the aroma of Messiah? Are we spreading everywhere the fragrance of what it means to know Him? Are we committed to radically speaking the truth in love, as David Ween shared with us last week? Are we radically committed to speaking the truth in love? If so, then like Paul, we need to expect both positive and negative responses. Let us not be surprised when this happens. It comes with the territory. Esther's Hebrew name was Hadassah because she was called to serve the Lord 
by walking in God's ways and representing her people in the palace of Shushan. In God's timing, she was called to speak out, and she showed herself equal to this task. Like the myrtle, she spread a sweet aroma to those around her through her good deeds and bold witness. But for some, those who walked in darkness, like Haman and his minions, she left a bitter taste. As we said, the heroine of our Purim story had two names. One was Hadassah, and the other was Esther. Esther was her Persian name. The Targum of Esther, a kind of early Jewish paraphrase of the story and the Talmud, both connect the name Esther with the Persian word for star, sitara, and explain that Esther was as beautiful as the morning star, the planet Venus. The Midrash tells us that, quote, she was like a statue which a thousand persons look upon and all equally admire. Rabbi Nehemiah said, they put Median women on one side of her and Persian women on the other, and she was more beautiful than all of them, unquote. Because Esther's name is identified with the morning star, our rabbis connected her acts of courage in serving the Lord with Psalm 22. Why Psalm 22? Because the title of the psalm, the words at the very beginning, say, for the music leader to the tune in Hebrew, Ayelet Hashachar, which can be translated either dawn doe or morning star. In other words, our rabbis saw this psalm, Psalm 22, as Esther's psalm, and they believed that she lived it out in her own life. I think it is actually a reasonable assumption on the part of the rabbis that Esther viewed Psalm 22 as a special psalm, as her psalm, since the equivalent of her name was in the title, and there is no other psalm like this. As Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles, I think this is very significant because Psalm 22 is a Messianic psalm that Yeshua, who refers to himself as the bright morning star in Revelation chapter 22, lived out in his own life. The first verse of Psalm 22 says in Hebrew, Eli, Eli, lama azaftani, and in Aramaic, shevaktani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeshua said this to his Father in heaven, the King of kings, when he faced the climax of his ministry on earth to save his people from their sins and all the nations of the earth from their sins by laying down his life on the execution stake, the cross. Similarly, Jewish tradition tells us that when Esther appeared before the king 
to save our people. When she entered the king's throne room, she, the morning star of our people, according to Jewish tradition, quoted the first verse of Psalm 22 and said, Eli, Eli, lama azaftani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If this tradition is reliable, then Esther, like Yeshua, was probably meditating on the meaning of the whole psalm, which is a praise to God, to, to God, a praise to God the King for being the Savior of Israel. For example, Psalm 22, verses 3 through 5 states, Yet you are enthroned. Actually, let's all read it together. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. We can imagine Esther having this faith in God as her Savior as she stood before King Ahasuerosh. We can imagine her praying at that moment when her life hung in the balance that the Lord would deliver her people and save Israel. The Midrash again attempts to fill in the missing pieces and dramatically tells us, almost like a K-drama, what it was like in the throne room on that day when Esther stood before the king. The Midrash tells us, quote, Esther put on a smiling face, concealing the anxiety in her heart. Then she came to the inner court facing the king, and she stood before him. The king was sitting on his royal throne in a robe adorned with gold and precious stones. And when he lifted up his eyes and saw Esther standing in front of him, he was furiously angry because she had broken his law and come before him without being called. Then Esther lifted up her eyes and saw the king's face. And behold, his eyes were flashing like fire with the wrath which was in his heart. And when the queen perceived how angry the king was, she was overcome and her heart sank. And she placed her head on the maiden who was supporting her right hand. But our God saw and had mercy on his people. And he took note of the distress of the orphan who trusted in him. And he gave her grace in the eyes of the king and invested her with new beauty and new charm. Then the king rose in haste from his throne and ran to Esther and embraced her and kissed her and flung his arm around her neck and said to her, Esther, my queen, why do you tremble? For this law which you have laid down, does, for this law which we have laid down does not apply to you, since you are my beloved and my companion. He also said to her, Why, when I saw you, did you not speak to me? Esther replied, according to the Midrash, My lord the king, when I beheld you, I was overcome by your high dignity. Unquote. 
During this joyous season of Purim, let us reflect on the Ahavat Yisrael, the love for Israel, the holy boldness of this morning star of Israel, Esther, who risked her life to save our people. Proverbs 31 says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Let us be inspired by Hadassah's myrtle-like qualities, the sweetness of her good deeds and testimony, which won her favor, but also provoked a bitter response from those who walked in darkness. Hadassah was equal to the task, are all of us? It is said in the Talmud that he who dreams of the book of Esther will see miracles in this life. May we all dream of these events that took place long ago, and may they cause us to be that much more devoted to our Lord and our Messiah, the ultimate morning star of Israel. Let's pray.